But let me ask you, were you there? That's the perfect question, the perfect setup for the Easter celebration. It takes us back to what I try and remind us of every Easter, and I try to remind you of throughout the whole year. That is, the foundation of our faith is an event. That hundreds of years before there was the Bible, and about 20 years before anyone was ever referred to as a Christian, and weeks and actually months before there was anything that we would begin to think of uh, that, that resembled a church, long before that, there was an event. People were there for the event. The people that brought us, um, that were there for the event, are the ones that brought us the story, and there are many of them. Of course, there's the, the ones that are kind of famous, like Peter and Andrew James and John and Nathaniel and Philip and Simon the Zealot, and there was also a, a couple of Judases, one that was the notorious one and one that we don't know that much about, and there were some women. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus and James. There was Mary Magdalene, and there was another Mary. So many Marys. Mary was a very popular name at this time, which um, helps us to understand that this is true history. Because who would make up a fiction and have so many Marys in it for no reason? There was a Joanna. There was Susanna, Salome, so many named people. And for us, it's a familiar story. For them, they would say, no, no, no. It is not a story. It was my life. We were there. We were there way up in the north in Galilee when Jesus told us that He was uh, planning on going down to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. We didn't think that that was really the greatest idea because the further south Jesus traveled, the more trouble He got into. But we followed Him. We were there with Him Days upon days upon days of being on the road as we finally came down south and we approached Bethany. And then Philip, Philip would say, hey, look, I was there when Jesus came to me and he said, I need you to go into Bethany and I want you to find me a donkey. I want a specific donkey. And he told me where to find that donkey. I was there for this. I mean, he, he always walked everywhere that we went, but for some reason, he wanted a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. The next day, we get closer. Mary, the mother of James, and, and there was also Joanna and Susanna, they, they would tell us we were there. It, it, it was amazing. Uh, at, at first, there were, there were dozens of people, and then it was like hundreds of people, and then it was like the whole city came out to welcome us. The, these city people came out and they began to take off their coats. And, and then we realized why Jesus wanted to ride in. And they began to take off their coats and they laid them on the dirty, muddy road so that his donkey would walk over their clothes. And then they brought branches. So many 
branches, palm branches, and they began to throw them on the road. It was amazing. There was this energy. It was like he was a returning conqueror coming back to his hometown. They recognized him. They thought that they knew him. It was like a king was coming in at first. We began to hear messianic phrases, Hosanna, Hosanna, words of adoration and joy, words that mean save us. They say, save us, or Hosanna. And the way that they're saying this, they are calling Him Savior. They're treating Him as the Messiah. They're treating Him as the Christ, as the Holy One, as the Chosen One, the Mighty One of God. And then we heard, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And things just got political real fast. Andrew, was there. He would tell us there was no way that we could believe it. There were just thousands of people who welcomed us into the city. We, we didn't even know how they knew that we were coming. And then we got there. And John was there. He would tell you, I, I was there when Jesus said to us as the group, I want to go to the temple. And we're all like, Jesus, Come on, look at the streets. We can barely make it through these streets. It's going to take us hours to get all the way to the temple. But he insists. And we go to the temple. And so all of us go to the temple. We're all there for this. And we get there. We walk up the southern stairs. We climb up the temple mound. And he found a corner and he began to teach We'd been with him for three and a half years. We thought we already knew everything that he was going to say, but this was different. This time was different. He taught almost until the sun went down, and we were exhausted because we'd been on the road for days and days coming south from Galilee. So Jesus says to us, let's leave the city, okay? Let's go spend the night out on the Mount of Olives. We just got into town, Jesus. These people were there, and they would tell you during that week of Passover, everyone from Judea, everyone from Galilee came to Jerusalem. The place was packed. But we made our way to the gates. We went out onto the Mount of Olives. We camped out there that night. James would tell you the next morning, Jesus woke us up, and He told us that we're heading back into the city. And so that's what we did, all of us together, went back into the city, back to the temple, and he was there four days, for four days out in the middle, exposed on the temple mount, right near the entrance to the Holy of Holies. And while he was there, he taught, and it was amazing. People flocked to hear him. Uh, People brought their questions. The Pharisees brought their questions. The Sadducees brought their questions, and it started to feel like they didn't really want good answers. What they wanted was a way to trap him, and they kept trying, and he kept answering. But what we felt was we saw there was such momentum. We knew that we were on the edge of something absolutely unbelievable. We were there for this. We were right in the middle of all this. Then Thursday rolled around, and he told us he wanted to go back into the city. Uh, He wanted to celebrate a Passover meal with just you guys, right? So John would tell you he just wanted to the tight guys, the the, the 12 in on this for whatever reason. And Nathaniel, he he, he would tell you, I I was there when he posed this idea, and we kind of gently reminded him, hey, Jesus, 
probably didn't think of this, but the city's packed, all right? Everyone wants to celebrate Passover within the walls of Jerusalem. So this is going to be hard, okay? This is the place to be for Passover. This is bigger than the Super Bowl. Everyone wants tickets for this. Jesus, for next year, let's plan ahead, okay? You need a reservation like a year in advance. And come on, look at us. There's so many of us. Where are we ever going to be able to just slide in now at this late date? Andrew was there, and he'd tell you, Jesus said, look, I worked it out, okay? Just follow me. So we did. We went back into the city through a gate, onto a street, turned down onto an alley, turned onto another alley. We had no idea where we were going. Following him, finally, we come to this building, and we knock on the door, and they let us in. And they take us upstairs, and there we are in this large room. It's been reserved. It's, it's, it's all there just for us. And in the room, everything was laid out for the Passover meal. Matthew, he'd tell you, he's looking around the room doing quick calculations how much would something like this cost? How in the world did he do this without talking to me or talking to any of us? We never knew. But we were there. And John, in particular, would say to us, this is a story that you have heard. It's a story that you were told. It's a story that you read. It's a story that I wrote. But I was there. I watched all this happen. I was there when Jesus began to hand out the different elements, these elements that we had seen since we were kids. And I remember doing all this since I was a little boy. And Jesus takes bread and he, and he hands it to Bartholomew. And then he says, it's his body? Then later in the meal, he passes around some wine. And he, and he tells us, it's the blood of the new covenant. It's the new covenant in my blood. None of us had really had any idea what he was talking about. Suddenly, Jesus, uh, Judas gets up and he whispers something in Jesus' ear. They have a conversation. Peter says, I was there. Uh, it was hard to hear. Let me tell you, I was trying to hear, but I couldn't hear. Then Judas got up and left. Jesus seemed concerned, but we were all kind of excited. At, at this Passover meal is happening. Jesus has got to come out. Like We've got to be here. He's coming out with his plan. This is going to be it. This is what's going to change everything. Here we are in the city. We've got the crowd. We've got great energy from Passover. We've got momentum. Do you remember the crowd as we came in? Surely this is the weekend that he will proclaim himself as Messiah. Instead, John, tells, John would say, I'm telling you, I was there when he said this. He said, no, gentlemen, I want to give you a new command. Simon, they, we, we called him Simon the Zealot because of his past associations. He was there and he would tell you, we didn't think that we needed any new command. What we need is the plan. How does this work? How do we storm the castle? Just how is this going to go down? And Jesus says, I want to give you a new command. And you are to love one another. And you're not to love one another the way that you're accustomed to loving one another. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Matthew, he was there. He'll tell you. Right, 
then I remembered the very first time that I met Jesus. I remembered the way that He loved me because I was an embarrassment to my family. I was an embarrassment to my entire nation. But He, Jesus, invited me to follow Him. No one ever invited me to do anything. No one ever wanted me to follow them. I used to think people were following me. And Jesus went on to say, by this this unique kind of love, everyone will know that you are following after me, that you're part of my movement. By the way that you treat each other and the way that you treat other people. That was it. No plan. No here's what's next. James might tell you, honestly, we were a little bit disappointed because he said, now let's leave. So we left. We got up, went out. We went back into an alley, turned on another alley, then another alley, crossed over a main road. Somehow we're at a gate. We uh, Eventually, we, uh, we find ourselves in a garden as we keep following Jesus, and Jesus says when He's there that He needs to pray. And we're like, again? Uh, you're always praying, right? We should be doing something, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? What's the plan? Where are we going? And then He plopped us down, all under a tree. It's a really beautiful garden. Part of it's very well kept. Part of it's a little bit more wild, and he left us there, and he went off into the slightly rougher, more wild area. He said that he needed to pray alone. Philip will tell you, a little embarrassed. They were all exhausted. He'd say, so much had happened. We traveled so far. We, we, everything's going on. It wasn't our fault. But yeah, we fell asleep. And we had no idea how much time passed, but it was uh, awkward. We were awakened by a sound that we had heard a few times, especially when uh, he was a little boy. Nathaniel might say, yeah, I remember that sound, that sound from when I was a little boy as well. It was the clink. It was uh, metal on metal, steel on steel. And we looked up, and there was a torch. And, and then... It, they're coming towards us, we see that it's torches. And they spread out, and we could see that there was a number of people approaching. And Jesus just stood there. We looked at him, and he just seemed you know, resigned. He was not getting amped up or worried. And then there was Judas. And there were men with clubs and, and other weapons, and we thought perhaps this was part of the squad. This is part of what Jesus had planned. Maybe these are the people who are going to help us. He's always surprising us. He's always got ideas. He's got things that are going on. And Peter says, I was close. And I, and I, and I heard the exchange between Judas and Jesus. Then they arrested him. And Andrew would, would tell you he didn't resist. Perhaps that's why we didn't do anything more to intervene than we did, because it looked like us, that Jesus was just there, and He was resigned to the fact that this was supposed to happen. And we were there. And at that time, we would have rather have been anywhere else, but to our shame, we ran. These men and these women would say to us, to you, these are stories. They're tales. You tell them as stories. But this happened. This happened to us. 
We were there. The next morning, mid-morning, we were there again, standing outside Pilate's palace, and we were there. We had been there for a couple of hours. We'd been waiting, and we could not believe what we had heard. Joanna was standing with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she'd tell you, we, we couldn't believe what we heard. At first, we were excited because out comes Pilate, and we didn't even know why Jesus had been arrested. But Pilate came out, and he said, I find no reason to execute this man. And so we were all relieved. Oh, but Pilate went on. Not only can I not find a reason to execute this man, but I have already sent him on to Herod, who represents you, the Judeans. He also can't find any reason to execute him. So we stood there, hearing this, feeling relieved. I don't know what happened, but it seems like it's going to be okay. But then Pilate went on to say the unthinkable. So... I'll have him punished and released to you. And James said, I, I was standing there. I couldn't, I couldn't believe what I'm hearing. And the crowd, the crowd began to chant, No, release Barabbas, free Barabbas, release Barabbas, free Barabbas. And Barabbas, why Barabbas? Barabbas is actually guilty of everything that you've just accused Jesus of. And then they, then they took him. They took Jesus. Mary Magdalene and Joanna, they tell you, we were there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we tried. We tried to get her to leave, but she insisted on staying, and we waited. And we heard, and we waited. And then they brought Jesus back out. He was on the porch between two of Pilate's uh, palace guards. If we hadn't have known him from before, I'm not sure that we would have recognized him at all. We had to hold Mary up. One of his eyes swollen shut, his face covered with his own blood. They twisted some sort of crown of thorns and they stuck it, jammed it onto, into his head. Pilate said, here he is. Then to our shock, we heard the crowd. It seemed like the same crowd that had welcomed us just a couple of days before. Now, crucify him! The crowd chanted, crucify him! And what? Crucify him? They just finished saying that there was no reason, there was no reason that they would have to execute him. Neither Pilate nor Herod. What do you mean crucify him? Why would they do that now? They said punish, which was bad enough, and then release. Then set him free. Punish, set him free. Why crucify him? This was all happening so quickly. The escalation, it was just last night. We're sitting there celebrating Passover together, alone, all about love. Love one another. Last night, love one another. Just last night, I thought that we were on the brink of something that was going to change everything. We had momentum. We had this energy. Crucify him. What just happened? And then Pilate gave in. We were there for this. We heard this. We saw this, how quickly the crowd turned. Pilate said, I release him to you. Crucify him. And then the palace guards, they took him back, and we were all stunned. 
I mean, it's not that we're naive, okay? We've seen injustice before. We've lived all of our lives under Roman occupation. All of our lives we've seen this. We've seen injustice repeatedly before, but never like this, not this, not to this level, not our rabbi, not not Jesus. Done nothing. And this group of men and women, they would say to us, you've read the story. I mean, you've, you've seen this story depicted. You saw it in a play. You saw it in a movie. But we were there when they crucified our Lord. And Mary Magdalene would tell you that she heard what she can't believe she heard when she heard Jesus forgive the man who was being crucified beside him. And Joanna and Susanna, they were right nearby. They would say, we couldn't believe it. We heard him forgive the men who crucified him. And when he forgave the men who crucified him, it was as if he had forgiven everybody who had anything to do with this atrocity, with this miscarriage of justice. And Andrew, again, he would tell you, we were afraid. Philip would say, we were afraid. James would say, oh yeah, we were afraid. And so we were on the edge of the crowd. When the the guards started to dismiss and to, to disperse the crowd, we were the first to go. We hadn't seen Thomas since the night before. We had no idea where Thomas went. But Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and also Salome, they would tell you, we stayed. To our relief, to our shock, we saw Nicodemus. Everybody knew Nicodemus. Another, and another gentleman uh, that we would later learn was, was a guy named Joseph from, from uh, Arimathea. They came, and they so reverently, so gracefully, so gently uh, began to take Jesus' body down from the cross. We'd been there for hours. We were emotionally exhausted. We were physically exhausted. We didn't know that you could take a body down from the cross. We just assume, like any other body, his body would be ripped from the cross and just dumped into a place where they leave criminals' bodies in a garbage heap. It was illegal to bury or to create any kind of place to mourn someone who had been crucified. But they took his body down and they wrapped it. We were outside the city, and so they began to walk along the outer wall of the city, and we followed at a distance. We were shocked. Uh, we were brokenhearted, disoriented, exhausted. We were so glad that Mary, Jesus' mother, had finally left. John had taken her away from the crowd. But we walked, and we walked, and we walked, and we walked, and then we walked down a hill, and then we went down another hill, and we came to a sort of ravine. The area had been cleaned out, and it was now clearly a garden, It was someone's property, and there was a little rocky outcropping. We didn't know if it was a natural cave or a man-made cave, but somebody had created a family tomb in the side of this little hill. Nicodemus, Joseph, the guy from Arimathea, along with their servants, they brought Jesus' body in. We were there. We saw this. Now the sun's going down. The Sabbath is about to begin. And when everybody, uh, when everything had been prepped and they, they uh, stepped outside and one of the servants released the little catch under the stone and they stood back and this enormous stone rolled into place. 
And then some Roman officials were there and they officially sealed the tomb. And then they left. Took us a minute or two, but eventually we also left. We made our way back inside the city to the place that we were staying. Everybody involved in this story from Peter, Andrew, James, John, Nathaniel, Nicodemus, all of the women, they can tell you we know exactly where we were when it dawned on us that this whole thing that we've been in, this is over. We just wasted three and a half years of our lives. Jesus is clearly not who He claimed to be. Jesus is not who we thought He was. Because you can't crucify the resurrection and the life. God's Messiah can't be manhandled by Gentiles. The Son of God can't die. No one is ever going to bury the Son of Man. All these things that Jesus claimed about Himself or allowed other people to claim about Him. And now, and now He's dead. And just now, like right now, He has been buried. We saw it. We were right there. So clearly we were wrong. Either we were deceived or He was deceived. (coughs) And we remember exactly where we were when we realized this whole thing, it's over. Then Mary Magdalene... (laughs) She'd tell you, I was there that morning with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with Salome, and everything happened so quickly. All this had gone on so fast. In hours, just hours, we went from being heroes to fugitives. There was no closure. We're disoriented. There was barely comprehension of what had happened, all that had happened. It's just a couple of hours. So in the morning, just before the sun rose, we gathered what we could to go back to the tomb. We didn't know how we'd get in. But we knew that the preparation of his body, it had been rushed. He deserved better than that. We needed closure. We needed to wrap things up well, respectfully. So we made our way back to the place. As we crested the hill, and we began to look down. The first thing we noticed was that someone, someone had reopened the tomb. If, if we'd been thinking Uh, I would have realized the stone had not been rolled back into place. The stone had actually been removed. We rushed down the hill and we checked inside and it was empty. The Apostle John, he would tell you, I know exactly where I was. I was scared and I was in the heart of the city and not in the best part of the city. I was alone except for Peter. The two of us were together when we heard somebody pounding up the stairs. And before we could get to the door to make sure that it's still bolted, still locked, the door bursts open and there's Mary Magdalene. Her eyes are puffy and she's been crying. She's, she's still crying. Her tears swollen her face. and All that she can say is they have taken my Lord. They have taken my Lord and I don't know where they have put him. John was, was right there with Mary and he, he reaches out, he takes her hands and he leads her inside, tries to calm her down. It's hard to understand what she was saying. And John would tell you, he'd say, I was there with Peter. And then Peter was gone. He just bolted. He was down the stairs in no time. And I was torn because Mary's here. She needs some attention, but I know what Peter's capable of. And I also know what Peter is not capable of. So I say, stay here, Mary. Let me go and and clear up what happened. 
And then I was out the door and chasing down the stairs after Peter. And by the time I caught Peter, we were just at the entrance to the city. It was, it was not the most uh, popular gate, but somehow he had found a shortcut. And we were there. And I passed him. I ran past him. It was, it was only about another 50 meters to the garden. And sure enough, sure enough, the stone had been rolled. Not back into its place, but away. I went right to the edge. I pause. I look inside. A couple of moments later, here comes Peter. Just blows right by me. He goes straight into the tomb. (coughs) John would continue to tell you, I'll never forget the moment when I stepped inside and I looked and I realized this is not a crime scene. This is not the result of someone forcing their way in and stealing the body. The whole place is too neat. It's too clean. It's too orderly. It's too organized. This is not a crime scene. And then somewhere in there, I think John would tell you, it was in that moment, in that place, when I was standing there that I believed. I believed what I saw. My rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth has been raised from the dead. Peter, he would tell you, I'm not so sure, all right? Honestly, I'm there. I'm seeing the same stuff, but I'm not 100%. But inside, I kind of knew. Then that night, Andrew would tell you. Andrew was, was there, and James would tell you because he's there too. Simon the Zealot would tell you. Nathaniel would tell you. Almost all of us were gathered together talking about the events of the day because there had been other Jesus sightings throughout the day, and we're hearing this stuff filter in. We're sitting around the table explaining what we had seen, talking about what had happened, what do we think about what had happened, what we thought had happened. And then we looked up, and there, there was just just Jesus, just there, very much alive. They'd shake their heads, look at you and then look away, look back at you. And any one of them would say, I know you have read about this. And I know you have heard about this. And I know that it's hard for you to believe It was hard for us to believe also. No one was expecting this. We thought he was just taken, but we were there. We were all in the same room with Jesus. Thomas. Thomas would tell you, I wasn't there. I wasn't there because after the incident in the Garden of Gethsemane, I was so scared I left town, I ran all the way to Bethany. All week long, I hear these stories coming out about Jesus sighting here and a Jesus sighting over there, and I thought, my friends... They've all lost their minds. He was crucified, okay? He was buried. And once something or someone dies, it stays dead. That's what dead things do. They stay dead. And I remember heading back into town. I finally found Peter and the others. They gathered together that night. It was a week later. All of them said they had seen Jesus. And I sat there with them thinking, come on, guys. I know your hearts are broken. I know that you're distraught, but come on. We have all seen people die. When people die, they stay dead. Coming back from the dead is a non-starter in this conversation that we're having right now. What else could we say happened? 
Remembering all of that, Thomas would tell you, oh, I earned my nickname. Of course I doubted. I wasn't a superstitious person, so I said to them, unless I can touch his hands and place my finger in the holes, I'm not signing on to this story. Then Jesus walked into the room. And I was there for that. I saw that happen. A week or two later, those men were instructed to go to Galilee. Jesus said he was going to meet them there. And they're thinking, why do we have to go back to Galilee? It's so far. It's a really long walk. I know it's home, but it's so far. I don't mind leaving this city, though. So they made their way back up north into Galilee. There's only seven of them. And, and when they go there, they waited. And then they waited. But still no Jesus. What's up with that? He told us to come. So leave it to Peter. One morning, Peter says, let's go fishing. All right? Peter's father's boats, they're right there on the shore. They pushed one out. They got in. This is where the journey had begun for a bunch of them, when Jesus had first showed up and invited them to follow him. So they're fishing. And John would say, I'll tell you exactly where I was when I looked up and I saw a gentleman walking along the shoreline. He's picking up sticks, picking up wood. He's going to build a fire. Nathaniel, James, they would say, I'll tell you exactly what we were doing when we heard John cry out, Peter, it's the Lord! Bartholomew would tell you, I'll tell you exactly what I saw. I turned around and I saw the bottom of Peter's feet as he dove into the water and he began swimming to shore. And 20 minutes later, we're all sitting around the fire having breakfast with the risen Lord, who we would discover shortly, was also our risen Savior. Last but not least, Matthew. Matthew would assure you, you've heard about it. You have read it. It's been read to you, but, but I was there when Jesus gathered us all back together and He smiled at us and He said, gentlemen, you are to go into all the world and you are to tell anyone you see what you have seen. And you are to tell anyone who will listen what you have just heard. You are the stewards. You are the owners of these events, these past three and a half years. And Matthew was still kind of blown away. He said, he said that we are to be his witnesses. Because after all, we were there. 